0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston. I have Rahul here from Connecticut and Alex from Maine. Hey guys, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. i doing well. It's getting exciting, getting to the fun part of the Euros as we slowly get out of the group stages. But what I want to talk about real quick, Rahul, I hear that you are a dog dad now.
2: I am. I am indeed. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Glad to hear it. Welcome to being a puppy owner for the first time in your life. I'm sure that's going to be exciting. And hopefully for this podcast, he remains very quiet. I I hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we just jump right into it, guys? Maybe we start with transfer rumors, Alex.
1: Yeah, I think that's always something people like to hear. So from what we've been seeing uh, in the latest news, I know personally one of my major points of interest and that of many Chelsea fans is Erling Holland. Um, that news has, as pertains to Chelsea and Haaland has been pretty quiet, but Manchester City have officially bid £100 million for Kane. Um, they are also opening to they are open to offering a player in the deal. So it looks like Manchester City are really going all out uh, for the the Tottenham number nine. Um, they'd love to grab Kane first, which is good news for us, uh, honestly. Um, is he number nine? Now I'm thinking, is he 10?
0: I believe he's the number nine for Spurs.
1: Okay, I don't know. I had a weird moment of doubt there. But the point being, it's looking like our favorite Chelsea is going to be able to pull away with Holland's signature. That's at least what I hope. Maybe that's that's a little optimistic, but supposedly personal terms are agreed ish. Um, And at this point, I think it's just going to be down to how willing Dortmund are to sell. Obviously they don't want to lose him for whatever the 70 million or it is uh, next season. So I'm still optimistic. Follow Holland hive. If you don't already, we're, we're getting that deal done. Uh, And I am, I'm confident we see Erling Holland in blue next uh, season.
0: Hopefully that is the case. But Alex, I stand corrected. Rahul was in my ear here that Kane is number 10, actually, for Spurs. I, so I thought so. I, th- I remember <laughs> seeing that and thinking it was interesting. But just to add to that Kane deal, we've also heard things about adding players to the mix in the fact that they may be throwing in Gabriel Jesus, maybe, Amirik Laporte, or in fact, I think Raheem Sterling's name has been thrown into a mix there. So some interesting things that could break from that transfer. But Rahul, I hear you have some transfer rumor on the Chelsea side, on the right wing back, maybe.
2: I do. So we've spoken about Hakimi uh, for the last few weeks. But uh, Fabrizio Romano, the very very trusted uh, transfer expert, said that PSG uh, director Leonardo and Hakimi's agent are in talks. Uh, PSG are getting closer, but nothing done yet. And Chelsea are offering players uh, for more of an exchange, cashless exchange, uh, but there's been no official bid yet. So uh, It seems like a situation that I think Chelsea are just exploring to see what they can do with the players they have in in the squad, Um, but PSG seem a little more ahead of us at this point. Yeah, it's one of
0: those where I think before this podcast kicked off, Alex, you had said, if we get him, that's a good signing. If we don't get him, It's something we wouldn't be too upset over by going for someone like Hakimi. But speaking of strikers, you've talked about Kane, you've talked about Holland. Any updates on ISAC? We've heard some news coming out of the European camps.
1: Yeah, so we were supposedly, um, Chelsea were interested, as I'm sure plenty of top clubs have been, seeing his performances um, for Sweden, I believe it is. Uh, He's been... Really impressing. Um, one of the main things a lot of pundits are talking about are his impressive technical ability for someone of his size. Normally, I think he's six 6'4". Um, normally, a player that tall is not as nimble with the footwork as he is, but if anyone hasn't seen it, he had quite the impressive solo chance that almost uh, managed to come away with a goal dribbling got past I don't know four or five players before getting a shot off and he's been setting up some great chances for his teammates as well with some playmaking so certainly I am still 100% on the Holland hype train but he would not be a bad backup in the slightest um, I think there's not necessarily too too much to those rumors at at this point I'm just assuming it's like every other top club if a if a young player performs well and looks good every top club in Europe takes notice so Um, That's, I think, where we are there, but, um, you know, that's one to keep an eye
0: on. For sure. He's definitely been performing well, and he did really well in the local Spanish leagues as well. So I think everybody's going to keep an eye on this gentleman. And I don't know much about Isak just yet, definitely on the Holland hype like you are, Alex, but Chelsea have traditionally been very successful with a physical strong center forward. So definitely one we want to keep our eyes on. But speaking of physical strong center forwards, any news on Lukaku there for us, Alex? Yeah, Romelu Lukaku, I
1: think, has quieted down that rumor because with Inter looking to sell Hakimi, that should fundraise enough for them to keep their other major players. Um, But he was in great form and did my fantasy team quite well today, uh, grabbing a nice late goal after having one disallowed previously um, to carry Belgium to three straight wins. So He's still showing um, just as he has this this in the past couple of years, he's still showing his true quality. So I think whoever gets him, if he does end up moving um, maybe next season will be a very lucky team. But it looks like he's more than happy to stay at Inter and fight to try to retain that title. So I think we're in for some good entertainment from him, no matter where he uh, ends up being in the next couple of years
0: absolutely and Lukaku being in red hot form Belgium being in red hot form Rahul Italy in red hot form and sounds like you have some news or some early news coming out of the Italy camp
2: yeah the based on his performance the other day in the second game for Italy he got two goals Uh, Locatelli is a name that's popped up on or associated with Chelsea but I believe he's more uh, in talks with Juventus but He looked good in that game. I personally didn't know much about him until that game. Uh, But he is in the range of 40 million euros, which isn't that bad. Uh, And if he can pop up with goals from midfields, which is something that uh, we could always use, uh, he could be a good option. And he's friends with Jorginho and Emerson already. So he could settle into the squad pretty well. And we've talked about
0: players that, make a good showing at these competitions, can definitely earn a transfer to a big club. But no disrespect to Juventus, they're massive. So nothing meant by that. But speaking of just transfers that are coming in, one confirmed transfer that is no longer with us or so somebody who's left Chelsea is Fikayo Tomori. And guys, this one for me personally stung a little bit because he's homegrown English talent, was doing really well under Frank Lampard in the first season and early on in the second, but things didn't work out. He's officially gone. And, and Alex, I'd like to get your thoughts on this transfer out.
1: Yeah, I I just don't think this was great business done by Chelsea. I mean, good on us not to lose him for free, I suppose. I think we got, what was it, a, almost 30 million pounds from him. Yep. Um, but really, at that price, I would 100%. And I think most Chelsea fans would 100% rather him stay. Um, especially, I think it's a little unfortunate with uh, Thomas Tuchel coming in and implementing a f- uh, five at the back, I guess you could call it three at the back, if you're just talking about the center backs, it does give opportunities to more center backs to play, so I certainly would have loved to see him stay, I think he could have been a very good rotation center back under Tuch- uh, Tuchel, I'm trying to transition myself, but um, but I think, you know, it's it's one we've missed out on. Um, I'm just hoping it doesn't come back to bite us and turn into yet another uh, Chelsea uh, story of a regretful transfer
0: away. Yep, that's definitely something we, we've experienced in the past. And you said a lot of Chelsea fans would agree with the fact that selling to Mori would be a mistake. We actually put up an Instagram poll. We had an overwhelming 61% fans saying, we wish we had not sold to Mori. So quite a bit biased towards keeping him. I mean, he is, like I said, Chelsea through and through. And Rahul, before I give you the stage, we had a gentleman interacting with us on the Premier Chelsea account, Jeffrey Emmanuel, giving his thoughts, saying under the circumstances, which is we have a lot of center backs, which Tuchel plays three of them. So up and there, and also for the money we got for him and he needs game time, it kind of works out, but it was that something that stung him as well. So Jeffrey, thanks for, Messaging with us and interacting with us. Rahul, what are your thoughts on the Tamori send off?
2: It hurts, like you guys have been saying. It, it's one where we saw him flourish under Lampard in that first season. He did well, even uh, playing different positions in a back three, back four. Uh, and then to see him kind of lose out in, on the first team, not get much game time and then eventually get a loan, and now he's gone permanently, it just hurts overall, because we wanted to see him succeed, we wanted to be uh, him to be that JT-like figure that came through the uh, academy and, and became you know that leading center back, but knowing Chelsea, we've done it in the past, we've sold the likes of Nemanja Matic, and then gone back in a couple of years and brought him back home, David Luiz, we did the same, so uh, I know we we were afraid it might come back to haunt us, but Tamori might use this as an opportunity to flourish and and earn himself a move back, which uh, hopefully we put in the buyback clause because we could definitely use that. And you've talked about Christensen
0: being the Danish Maldini. Maybe we're training Tamori to be the English Maldini. Um, Maybe I'm putting a stretch there, but no, thanks guys for this segment. We will keep our eyes open for any big transfers. Follow Alex's page for Holland Hive so we can make sure that this rumor comes true. But Why don't we jump right into the Euros? Rahul, why don't you take us through some of the first games?
2: Yeah, so the last time we spoke, we were talking through the first round. Uh, The second round's happened as well. And in fact, the third round for some teams is done. So uh, we'll focus on some of the teams that have qualified for the round of 16. So from Group A, we have Italy in first, uh, Wales and Switzerland who have made it. Uh, Group B, Belgium and Denmark have qualified as first and second. So the third place team... Uh, is to be determined if they will qualify group C Netherlands and Aust- Austria uh, and in group D Czech Republic and England without playing their third game uh, qualified based on the results from the first two uh, first three groups uh, in group E Sweden have qualified there's still the second and third place to be determined so some drama to be unfolded in over the next couple of days and then the group of death between France Germany Portugal and Hungary Uh, France have qualified, but there's still two spots available and either Germany, Portugal, or Hungary could grab those. And uh, before we talk about some of the games that are coming up, just a little bit of credit to Hungary that got a draw against the world champions in France. So uh, don't write them off, guys. Yeah, most certainly wouldn't want to write them off, but it's definitely getting
0: into some sticky situations. Raúl, I don't know if you can explain some of the mechanism around how they're selecting teams that are going through because this is something very new to me
2: yeah so I think it's obviously the first two qualify and then in 2016 they started doing uh, the third place team qualifies too so the criteria for that is number of points first uh, and then if all third place teams have similar points and it goes to goal difference and if that's similar too then I think the, the tiebreaker there is yellow cards um, and then if that's same too, don't ask me because I don't know what they use to determine <laughs> determine that. But it is a little confusing because as we talk a little bit further about the next round, uh, some first place teams play the second best team in a different group, while other second best teams face like the third best team. So it just doesn't like seem um, uh, what is it, equal or like fairly low, matched. Fairly yeah. matched, yeah. Uh, but. It's the Euros and and that's what it pops up with. Yeah. Alex, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think that's that sort of weird situation is how we've ended up with uh, the situation I was talking to uh, Rahul about previously, where England might actually be better off not winning their final game, um, because if they do win and finish top of their group uh, with a victory over the Czech Republic, England are going to have to face um, likely either Germany or Portugal. Um, but also obviously Hungary. We don't want to write them off quite yet, Um, but they're going to have to face second place in group F. So it's, it's an interesting situation there where England do need to find some form, but in a weird way, if, if there were a time for them to have a horrible loss and just, I mean, not that they've been playing particularly well uh, anyways, but if there were a time for them to play particularly poorly, this would actually theoretically give them a better uh, shot in the knockouts most likely. So just a a slightly bizarre situation, but Hey, that's, I guess the beauty of the euros, the beauty of a three game group stage. I think that's kind of fun. Um, obviously we're used to the champions league format where you play each team home and away and you end up with a six game group stage. But I think this is a, a cool way of letting some underdog stories come through. Um, and, and meaning that you only have to play three games and then four of the third uh, the third place teams go
0: in. So it's a little crazy, but that's why we love the sport. Keeps things interesting. Yeah, it definitely does. And so I'm trying to wrap my head around how they're doing selections. So I'm going to keep listening to you guys and learn from this. But Rahul, do you want to take us through some key talking points, maybe starting with the Chelsea players that have performed well so far?
2: Yeah, so the last time we spoke, Chelsea players were still finding their feet in the tournament. But since then, uh, there's been some very good performances and goals and assists. Uh, and so starting with Italy, Italy who've knocked up three straight wins, not conceded a goal, Jorginho in the heart of midfield, uh, doing what he was doing best for Chelsea over the course of the season, just dictating play. I uh,
1: think he had a, a 98% pass accuracy in their most recent game.
2: <laughs> and, and you know, the benefit of having a Barella or a Locatelli in midfield next to him gives him that protection that he gets similarly from a Conte or a Kovacic. So, uh, Mancini using Jorginho in, in the right way and the right uh position on, on the pitch. Uh, just staying on Italy, they've now gone about 30 games unbeaten since Mancini has taken over. So they didn't make it to that last World Cup, uh, but they've come back strong and they've been looking good. They haven't conceded, like I said. So I think. Uh, they should be considered a, a dark horse in terms of before the tournament and now what they've shown us a, a, a team that could easily go on and, and win it for their uh, for their fans. Uh, and then moving on to Germany and Portugal, I'll let Mr. Havertz Hive. Uh, Alex covered that because Havertz had a brilliant game.
1: Yeah, he played out of his mind. Um, I think. there were two it started off obviously for those who watched with that ronaldo counterattack um so portugal went one nil up and at that point it was looking like um it could be portugal's game because germany had put some really good pressure on but hadn't found the net ronaldo starts and ends the counterattack so credit to the people calling that a tap-in credit to him rather Uh, contrary to those calling it a tap-in from him, he made the defensive header to start the counterattack and then in 14 seconds got to the other side of the field to put the ball in the net, past Manuel Neuer, who I saw before the game there was a stat, I think he had nine goals in six club appearances against Neuer, which is the most ever against that goalkeeper, not even having played in the Bundesliga. So that's pretty impressive from CR7. Um, But then after that, Germany really... Turned it up a notch. Two own goals were forced by some very quick attacking play. Um, Havertz was very heavily involved in both of those. And then uh, in the second half, Kai Havertz comes back out and scores his own goal, uh, undisputed Havertz goal. We were all trying to claim those, those own goals a little bit before. Um, but scores his own. And then I believe he had the pre-assist for the fourth one. Just some very nice link-up play. Um, once again, leading to a Germany goal. Eventually, they, they win 4-2 after Portugal grabs another. But really, really impressive from Havertz. And now he is technically uh, favored by the bookmakers to have the best odds of being the best young player at the tournament. Um, of receiving that award when it's over. So I think his odds were 5-1. to one. Um doesn't mean too much, obviously, but just a reflection of of the fact that people are
0: people are realizing his talent and he's continuing that Champions League final winning form. Yeah, I'm glad you linked it over there, Alex, because I think that's what's spurring some of this stuff on. We had said that in one of our episodes that this could be that moment or that pivotal pivotal point that Havertz kind of goes from and really goes into the player that we know we signed. And just to touch on Germany, I think it was just a well-oiled performance. They just kept going and going and going. But Credit to Portugal. I think they gave us a match. I think it was entertaining from both sides and CR seven. How much more can you say about him? I think we discussed in previous episodes, 36 still going strong and has that winning mentality. So definitely exciting to see, but Rahul going back to Italy, I wanted to touch on Mancini for just a second. I think he had done something sweet, dare I say in Trent or substituting one of his players
2: on. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, and, I, I was going to touch on that, so thank you for, for reminding me. So I believe around the 88th or 89th minute, he brought on his backup goalkeeper, uh, Salvatore Sirigu, who used to play at PSG. Uh, he came on in that third game, and the reason behind that was Mancini said he himself went to the 1990 World Cup uh, and was an unused substitute in Italy's run in that tournament, and he regrets not having you know, some time on the pitch in a World Cup tournament. So he didn't want ha- to have his goalkeeper go through that as well. So he said, this game is is one. We're winning the group. We're going through. So I'm going to give him some time so that he remembers it for the rest of his life. Yeah, very touching moment. And I think at this
0: point of his 26-man squad, I believe 25 have seen the field. So good job, Mancini. And like you said, a dark horse. I think, Alex, you said it perfectly. You've been a big Fan of Jorginho, a big protector of Jorginho, and like Raúl have said, like you've said, Italy probably a team to be watching out for. Yeah,
1: I think it's even it's almost it's almost disrespectful in a way to to keep calling them a dark horse. I know that's what a lot of pundits have been labeling them, but um, they're just a powerhouse. I think. <sighs> I won't, I won't be too edgy here. They're levels above the United States men's national team, but in a similar sense, when you miss out on say uh, a world cup, as I believe they did, it's, it's not, you know, there's just a tendency to then instantly write off the team and say, they don't know what they're doing, whatever. But as, as Rahul touched on um, quietly picking up 30 unbeaten games, this is no small feat. The team is taking things seriously and they put out a heavily rotated lineup and still comfortably won their most recent game. So, you know, they've been doing great for my fantasy team. Can't complain there. Um, there may be the European team I have the closest uh, family ties to I'll call it. So I've, I've been sort of rooting for them. A uh, man, Jorginho I think has been finally getting a bit of appreciation. Uh, everyone is very quick to give him stick, but he's allowing the players around him to shine. So I'm excited to see this. And I think, I would I would call them up there with the favorites right now. Um, I would love to see them go on a nice run, and I think I think it's good that they're finally getting some more respect.
0: Yep, it's definitely looking like the Italy of two thousand and six. But Rahul, maybe you can
2: take us through the Denmark game and the Danish Maldini's back. <laughs> I knew you'd pick on me for this one because of my history with Christiansen. Uh, so yes, Denmark put in a great performance. They came into this game needing to win by at least two goals. Uh, against Russia because they were sitting in fourth position in, in that group and uh, needed obviously to win their game, but they also needed some help from Belgium, which they got. So D- Denmark went on to win 4-1. Uh, Belgium did them a favor and beat Finland 2-0. So Denmark go through its second place team. Uh, four goals scored. One of those was a rocket from Christensen. Uh, the Russian goalkeeper had made a couple of saves. There's a couple of blocks and the ball falls to none other than Danish Maldini like you said and, and he just goes puts his foot through it and it just flies into the net uh, and he dedicates that goal to Christian Eriksen rightly so and uh, I think this Denmark team have now found their form found some goals after that uh, incident in the first game so they they have I would say Italy are dark horse I think Denmark might have some passion behind them driving them forward with you know winning this tournament for Christiansen so Credit to them and credit to Christensen. Thank you for bringing Christensen into this as well. He definitely
0: needs to be mentioned. And I think things are going well so far. I know there's a few more things that we have to look out for. Christian Eriksen. I apologize. So I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks, months, what happens from there. But you touched a little bit on Belgium. Alex, your thoughts on Belgium. They seem like a high-flying side right now.
1: Yeah, they've been doing quite well. Um, Romelu Lukaku has been getting the business done. Um, I think he's clearly showing why Chelsea were after him. Um, I think he's just at this point really developed his game and people were saying, even the commentators were saying during the match, there's still ways he can improve, but he is really just flying. He's absolutely a world-class striker. He's right up there with the best of the best. And I think with between him, between uh, Kevin De Bruyne being in good form and a very, just a very, Deep uh, Belgium squad, and that they've got some good quality at a lot of positions. I actually, I need to find this name. Uh, I was looking I, today. I was watching the game, and Belgium had, I believe, he was a a, a younger uh, a younger player starting. I'm looking right now. Doku. I hadn't heard of him. Jeremy Doku from Rens. I I was watching the game, and he just kept going on really dangerous forward runs. It was impressive. Um, clearly, clearly, he still has. A ways to develop but he's 19 years old he was born in 2002 which god now that I think about it is is after me so uh well you know I was impressed with him and I think that's that's pretty telling when you can you can put out some 19 year olds instead of playing say um I don't know Belgium have Belgium have quite a bit of talent instead of playing your very star names you put out a 19 year old or two and they get the business done I think that's impressive so
0: Belgium are looking very good going into the knockouts Yeah, my knee started hurting when you said 2002 and 19-year-olds playing football. You're trying to give away our age over here, Alex. (laughs) But no, definitely looking great. Rahul, Aiden Hazard got a few minutes in this game. He had an emotional interview that he talked about breaking his ankle three times in the last few years and hasn't given up on his Madrid dream. I know we're focusing on Belgium here, but Aiden Hazard is one of our own. So maybe a few words for him.
2: It's great to see him. It's good for him to come back. I know he played 90 minutes in the game uh, against Finland but before that he came on against uh, Denmark in a game where Belgium were, were struggling to be honest uh, and set up the second goal for Kevin De Bruyne and like Alex mentioned their deep bench their big squad helped them win win that game so uh, they definitely are one of the favorites i think their issues might be in defense but we'll see we'll see how they do uh, i think for Eden Hazard it's great and um, I think he's going to use this tournament, get some good form and then come back next season and, and do what he does best is, is dribble and, and score goals and, and make assists for his teammates. Yeah, for Sure. Why don't you jump us right
0: into the round of the 16 since we're moving forward from here.
2: Uh, yeah. Just before we do that, I wanted to touch on and get your guys' thoughts on the whole in England, Billy Gilmore situation. Um, I know we, have seen the rumors and seen the stories come out. So Billy Gilmore tested positive for COVID-19. He featured and did very, very well against uh, England in their group stage game. They tied nil-nil, but he was man of the match, which Alex, I'm sure you'll drop the stat about his uh, man of the match performances every time he's made a debut in a competition.
1: Yeah, Um, I think it's what... I, I don't even know, is it the FA Cup, UCL,
2: Premier League, and now the Euros? <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So uh, a lot of fans out there saying he needs to be playing a lot more for Chelsea. We may not need that new center central midfielder, uh, but not on, at the expense of not going off topic. Just coming back to this, so he tested positive for COVID. At the end of that game, Mount and Chilwell interacted with him. Uh, and now they're having to self-isolate after they've had two negative COVID tests. Uh, so, Jackie, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Does it seem right that Mount and Chilwell are being highlighted as the two guys that need to uh, you know, self-isolate rather than the rest of the Scottish team that spent more, most of their time with Billy Gilmore? Look, I think you described it correctly. It's, it's a difficult situation because Gilmore is spending
0: day in, day out, multiple minutes, hours on, not just on the field, but in hotels and buses going back and forth with the rest of the Scottish squad. So how it applies only to Ben Chilwell and Mason Mount is a little difficult to wrap my head around. I'm not sure how that decision was made, but at the end of the day, we're looking at this from how do we make sure that they're following the rules and people are not getting into spreading the virus, as they say, but I guess it comes down to my fundamental belief in the fact that these guys are playing together on a field for 90 minutes and are jostling and grabbing each other. It's a little difficult to see how it applies just to Mason and uh, Ben Showell, but not to anybody else. It's a very difficult one for me. I get the gist of what they're trying to do, but I just don't understand it. I guess I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I think it's, it's really weird,
1: especially given that, I, mean, I think it's just something about the cameras in that, oh, there's a lot of footage of, of Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell, just talking and, and hugging Gilmore after the game. That's because they're Chelsea teammates. So everyone was watching and obviously they're friendly and they go up to him. And it's just because the cameras were on them for a little longer. Everyone in the, you know, I mean, not even just in the country, people around the world watching this game, see those two in close contact with Gilmore and I almost think they're making a show of the, of the fact that they need to isolate. I am sure they're not doing it purely as like a, I mean, I, I'm sure they're not doing it purely as like an empty sort of pointless move um, for the cameras, but I think it's just a little weird. I feel like they, they people felt almost pressured into making those two isolate um, just because the cameras were focusing on them after the game. But as you said, Jackie, Gilmore sitting here spending his entire time with the Scotland squad I don't know how that doesn't apply to them so
0: yeah Alex I think you hit the nail on the head the optics of the situation is what's forcing this to be a self-isolation and I think what makes it a difficult pill to swallow Rahul and maybe you can give your thoughts in just a second is the fact that they've tested negative twice I really don't know where else to go from here so at the risk of kind of stirring the pot a little bit more I'm gonna bite my tongue and let you give your feedback
2: yeah, I think from UEFA's perspective, it's like we're it's like showing like you guys are saying the optics is that oh we're gonna have people self isolate the two people that we know interacted with them the most and then everyone else has a negative test so they're fine, but they're forgetting that these two guys had two negative tests so uh, they're just trying to prove a point like yo you gotta self isolate and I honestly wish I could explain it any better but I can't uh, so hopefully for Billy Gilmore uh, it's just. A positive that he has to isolate and he's fine and it's no more symptoms. And for the other two, uh, hopefully, I think Sotgate said they should be back if they miss the Czech Republic game, they should be back for the next one. So uh, that's all we can hope for. But wishing all of them a speedy recovery uh, and, and you know just good health. Uh, but moving on to the next round, like you said, Jackie, round of sixteen, and so we do have some ties that are, are all set and ready to go. So we start with Italy versus Austria on Saturday. Uh, and Austria have done pretty well. Alaba has looked good. I think he created the most chances in the game versus Ukraine today. So uh, with him, with Anartovich, uh and Sabitzer, uh, some of the household names in that squad, do you think they can take down Italy, who we've just given a lot of praise to? Do you know what?
0: That's That's a difficult one right there for me. I know Austria do have a good squad. You've mentioned some amazing names there. And, on their day, I mean, it's it's knockout football. Anybody can really beat anybody. But I just find it very hard to look past Italy beating Austria. I mean, Alex has made some amazing points. We've talked about Mancini and their winning record. For me, I think it's going to be Italy. Alex? Yeah, I think Italy
1: have to be my favorites. It's just, I mean, personally, I'm rooting for them. And I think at this point, it's it's. It's clear that they mean business and it's clear they have the depth to back that up because 25 or whatever, 25 or 26, I think you were saying, have played so far. Um, and they're sitting on three wins and three clean sheets. So I, I'm, I'm Italy all the way.
2: Yeah, I am too. I think this game, uh, all due respect to Austria, I think Italy may just have too much for them. Uh, the next one on the list here is Wales versus Denmark. Uh, so we've just spoken about Denmark who've done well. Uh, Wales themselves pre- did pretty well in the group stages and, and made it out. So do we expect a similar run from 2016 where Wales made it all the way to the semi-finals, or do we think Denmark now uh, push on and, and try to make a run in this tournament? For me, it's an absolutely difficult one to call,
0: to be very honest with both of you guys. I think, like you talked about Denmark being a dark horse, Wales can be too. They've got some talented players in Gareth Bale alone. And so it's one of those where I really just want to sit back and watch this one, but tough one to call. I don't know, Alex, do you have any solid thoughts on one way or the other? I mean,
1: I think a lot of people I was, I was seeing online. A lot of people were saying that Denmark are now after obviously the Christian Eriksen incident and then their, their impressive win today, it seems like that could be this year's sort of fairy tale run. I know last year' everyone was team Iceland um, with their fun little run and their their cool Viking clap uh, they were they were having a good time and everyone was enjoying it. So I think people enjoy rooting for a bit of an underdog. I would love to see Denmark come out um, and really harness this energy and the support for the country and from their fans for the Ericsson incident and then pushing on to a great performance uh, today with our Danish Maldini at the helm. I would love to see that kind of, um, you know, I'd love to see that story play out. I'd love to see that continue for Christensen, for Christian Eriksen, um, and just for the Danish fans and everyone else. I think that will be a fun one, but you know, you cannot write off Wales. So I think it's going to be too close to call, but I'm personally in uh, camp Denmark there.
2: Yeah, I I am too. I I think they can push on and they showed that they can score a bunch of goals. So uh, it should be an interesting one. Both games on Saturday should be interesting. Uh, Moving on to Sunday, which isn't all set yet, but it's Netherlands versus the best third place team in Group D, E or F. Uh, So the way things stand right now, it could be Netherlands versus uh, Croatia or Spain or... Portugal so uh, some good matchups here and since we don't know who it's going to be just a word from you guys from Netherlands and what you've seen so far and uh, impressive from Frank De Boer who's come in for a lot of criticism based on his time at Crystal Palace and some of the decisions he's made uh, while at Netherlands. They have a talented squad and so I like what I've seen so far
0: but I think based on some of the names you mentioned there in Croatia and Portugal and Spain it's not going to be an easy test by any means so Frank de Boer has his work cut out for him. The Dutch players have their work cut out for him, but it's definitely going to be an entertaining match.
1: Yeah. I think as long as I've got to pie in my team, uh, I'm, I'm enjoying him scoring some goals. I think this is going to be a good one. I should have captained him unfortunately today, but uh, I think, I think the Netherlands have the talent. The question is, will they get it done? But currently they're sitting on three straight wins. Um, so things are looking pretty darn good for them. And I'm, you know, I, I think the Netherlands are certainly once again, not a team you can write off um, and maybe more so than, than some other ones, even uh, I don't think you can even describe them fully as, as an underdog because they've got talent to match some of the big boys. If they turn up.
2: They do. and And like I said, those three teams I mentioned are just based on who sits in those positions right now. This could all change by the end. Uh, of the the group stages so we'll definitely keep an eye out for that one we've spoken about belgium they have the opportunity to face the best third place team in group a d e or f so e would group a would be a bigger part in switzerland group d would currently be croatia group e like i've mentioned spain and group f would be portugal so again for belgium who've done pretty well so far Uh, They could end up with a tricky situation depending on how things go. So uh, do we think Belgium can overcome the likes of maybe Portugal or Spain if that's who they end up facing? Or is that going to be a mountain too high for them to overcome?
0: Certainly it'll be tough. But for me, I honestly think just based on their form and how they're playing and some of their players that are still coming back into form with the likes of KDB and even Aiden Hazard who got his first 90 minutes, I think Belgium are going to be a powerhouse and I think they can overcome whoever's going to come in their way. Of course, I've got to say it. Anybody can beat anybody, but I think Belgium have got this. I really do. Yeah, I definitely think Belgium
1: have everything it takes. They're right up there. I think obviously you can't base it on past tournaments. Um, It's a different squad, different time. I think they could have won the most recent world cup. I was certainly rooting for them. Uh, when we had Hazard pulling off masterclasses uh, in the 2018 World Cup. So I think they could beat any of the top teams in this tournament. I think, honestly, on their day, they they probably will beat most top teams in this tournament. I love, honestly, the unpredictability of this because we're just going to get some great clashes down the line. And it's difficult because none of the next None of the next four of the the round of 16, none of the next four matches even appear to have a single team fully decided yet. We've got, I don't know, plenty of games to play, but I just cannot wait to see some of these massive clashes. That's all I can say. It's going to be so fun. I think every fans from around the world are going to be enjoying watching some of the heavyweights take each other on and maybe the continuation if we're lucky of some of these underdog stories. So I'm just, strapping in and
2: enjoying the ride from here yeah you're spot on this is where the tournament gets to the the fun part of it and it's knockout football so uh, teams will put everything out there and like you said the next four fixtures don't have a single team uh, set in yet so no point talking about the potential and and who makes it Uh, but there is a potential of England who could still finish top of the group like Alex you mentioned uh, so if you're Garrett Southgate, Jackie, and I'll pose this question to Alex as well in a second, you're going into this game against Shrek Republic. Like, you know, if you finish first, you most likely have to face one of the likes of France, Germany, or Portugal. But if you finish second, you either face a Slovakia or Spain uh, or, or the first place team in, in that group, which is Sweden. What do you do? Do you play for the draw? Do you go all out for the win? Do you play to lose? Uh, what do you want to do as as, as England manager? As England manager, and this is just my opinion, and I think I've
0: spoken about this with Chelsea in the Champions League qualifications as well, I think you put your best team forward every time to win every game. And I know there's a lot of things about game management and all that, but I know of situations where you can put a team out there and it can be a loss, and a loss that can be horrible it can also demoralize you and affect you later down the tournament. So me, plain and simple get out there to do the business. What I would tell my team though is don't get injured. Don't get yellow cards. Don't get sent off. Just try to get the business done. I would not play for a loss because I think as far as your own pride and your own sportsmanship, that's something you just don't do. So if I'm England I'm England manager, I'm going for the win.
2: Alex, you're Garrett Southgate. Same question for you. What do you do? Well,
1: being Garrett Southgate, I've got some, very questionable management decisions in my past. I completely underrate some of the players in my squad. um, And I should probably resign right away and stop subjecting my entire country to waistcoat ball. But I, you know, that aside, I think if I'm Garrett Southgate, I take this as an opportunity and he won't. But I would take this as an opportunity to show the media and all the fans who are slandering me for not starting the likes of Jaden Sancho, for not even giving him a chance um, when he's been balling out in the Bundesliga. I think that's when you take that as an opportunity and say, okay, these players who I'm claiming aren't quite at the level to start for us and the media and fans are begging me to start, I'll put them out there. I'll give them the, the game. And if they're actually not quite good enough or don't have the chemistry or don't work hard enough or whatever, then sure. We lose the game. Boo-hoo. We get an easier draw in the round of 16, but I think I put out some of the weaker players uh, in in quotes, because these are all top quality. uh, These are all top quality professionals. Every one of them work to get where they are. So I would put out maybe, you know, I'm sure the press finds a way to slander everything. I would put out maybe not a B team, a B and a half team, uh, you know, do make a a good number of switches, five or six changes to the starting lineup. Let those players show that they're hungry. uh, And well, hopefully not performing like the real hungry, but let those players show that they're, they're really amped to be there. They want to make a case for themselves to play in these knockouts. And I think that's a a win-win because if your players aren't good enough and you lose, you have a better chance in the knockout phases but if they do prove you wrong, you say, okay, Jaden Sancho absolutely lit up this game. I'm gonna to start to use him, even if it's just as a sub in these knockout rounds. So I don't know. That's just my train of thought. But I think it's it's a it's a perfect it's a perfect time to use some of these players who he's being criticized for not playing from the start. Start Grealish, start Sancho and see if they can make an
0: impact. Honestly, that's an excellent point because regardless of trying to win or lose, I think at the end of the day, most of these players have been selected and there's a huge pride playing for your country and making it to the Euros for your country. So just like we talked about Mancini giving everybody a chance to play, not that that's Southgate's head, but having these boys have a chance to step out onto the field, one, represent their country of the Euros, and then two, prove themselves, saying, boss, we're going to the next round, regardless of what happens, let me show you what I can do. So That's an excellent point. And for Southgate... <laughs> I'm surprised at the negative information you have about Southgate there. So I'm going to sit back and wait and
2: watch for waistcoat football now. (laughs) Yeah, you guys brought up some good points. And I think for England, they need to get a performance under their belt, a good performance, I beg your pardon, under the belt, before they go into the knockouts. Because from what we've seen, they've kind of been okay, nothing special. I know Alex has mentioned some of the players that haven't played Uh, so that's this exactly is the opportunity to do that and and put in a performance and and see where it takes you if it's first it's first and like you said Jackie you go out and face the best team Uh, if it's not you face a team that's not to the mark that you expect but England have a history of making a meal out of that too so uh, whatever be the case it should be the next the next couple of days should be a lot of fun uh, especially with Portugal and France facing off so Uh, We do have some good games still to come, and then we'll be back later in the week to kind of review or preview, I beg your pardon, the rest of the round of 16 uh, fixtures. But before we wrap this up, we do have to, and as much as I don't want to, cover the Fantasy League from uh, the Euros. So we started the league uh, last week. I was sitting, I believe, in 114th or 13th. So I have made some progress. But it's still not good enough and not as good as Alex, so Alex, since you're leading us in in the fantasy league uh between the three of us at least, why don't you kinda run us through on who's doing well and and where we could be doing better
1: yeah so currently i'm I'm sitting in thirty first place, which is you know i've I've had worse standings before where I'm slowly making my way up my goal I think is to still get into I don't know what I said last time top 20 or top 10 Uh, I would love to be in the top 10 we'll see if that happens Uh, I should have captained Depay today as he had a goal and two assists but I captained Lukaku who scored which was good Um, and I currently it looks like I am actually currently sitting on quite a few players left to play I've got Harry Kane in my team so hoping he uh, ends his little uh, mini gold route. And I'm hoping Kai Havertz puts on another young player of the tournament worthy performance against Hungary for Germany. And if Mason Mount, if they let him out of their little showboating uh, quarantine, I would love to see Mason Mount put on a great show. So Pau Torres as well. So I could, I could turn this into a pretty good week. Some people are already doing extremely well. So I'm sitting in 31st with 128 points at the top. We've got, it's coming home with 187 points. We have Giroux Sandstorm, fantastic name, um, with 181 points. Um, but it's looking like Giroux Sandstorm also has Kai Havertz. So with a, a Kai Havertz masterclass, he could maybe uh, make a push for first place. So impressive. We've got Mega10, who was up there for the first couple of weeks. weeks. Um, Mega10 has dropped a little bit down to 178, still within 10 of the leaders and he's got Ronaldo. Uh, and it looks like Nabry uh sitting in his team ready to go. So we'll see if any of this shifts up a little bit. But congrats to the guys who are who are pulling up at the top. I don't think we're quite there. Where are you guys at in the standings at the moment?
2: very hard question to to answer (laughs) i was gonna say jackie he's covered the top maybe you and i should cover the bottom
0: (laughs) we are way at the bottom we're fighting relegation right now but look first of all thank you to everybody who joined it actually is a lot of fun to see a huge turnout i know we've already said that but with the huge turnout comes some low people on the totem pole and i am sitting in I think it's position 99 right now. So I am way down there. I only have 89 points for this week. I do have a few more players to come on, but it's going to take a miracle, guys. And it's going to take some time. Maybe I have to use some of my wildcard subs or do a full swap
2: like we've talked about. But Rahul, where are you? Well, I said 89th earlier, but I've just gone back and checked. And I make it to (laughs) hundred. So triple I'm, digits, yeah. I, I opened the triple digits, so I'm just a, a, a position below Jackie, uh, with 88 points in total. So I think Jackie and I should just have our own mini league to see who finishes but first between the two of us.
1: Yeah, what one thing we were looking at earlier is it seems like of the all of the top five people in the league who are significantly above uh, some of the rest of the pack have already played their limitless chip. So maybe that's some sort of strategy that hardened fantasy veterans know everything about Um, the limitless chip is one where you get an unlimited budget and you can pick players regardless of how much they cost, but it's only lasts for one match day. Then your team resets to how it was before. Um, But we were discussing that maybe that was a good tactic because every big team is still in the tournament. Nobody's been knocked out yet. Um, there are lots of stars to choose from and it's a great way to differentiate yourself so maybe that was the tactic there um, because all of the top five have already played that card meaning that they got to put a bit of distance between themselves and the rest of the pack so well done to them Um, i i'm enjoying this though i think maybe maybe premier Chelsea fantasy has to be something we do during the regular season too so this has been good and thank you to everyone who joins
2: yeah absolutely thank you so much guys Uh, But that wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. Uh, It's at the Premier Chelsea, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, Alex is also on Instagram at Pulisic FC22. And we will be back later this week uh, to do a quick preview for what the rest of the Euros look like uh, round of 16 and onwards. Uh, But until then, stay safe and up the Chels.